After five weeks of striking, bargaining between SRU, which is the Union for Graduate Student Researchers, UAW 2865, which is the Union for TAs, Tutors, and Readers, and the University of California has ended. At least, it's tentatively ended. This past Friday, December 16th, bargaining teams representing the two unions tentatively agreed to UC's proposals made during mediation. If you've been following along with KCSB's reporting on the UC-wide academic worker strike, you already know that these three parties entered mediation the weekend before last. If you look at the social media accounts for either of the two unions, it appears as though celebration is in order across the board. But after I talked to Emily Fox, a PhD student at UC Santa Barbara and our resident strike update, I feel safe saying that union members aren't jumping for joy just yet. Here's my conversation last night with Fox. Hi, Emily. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really curious to dive into this. So just to catch listeners up to speed, this past Friday, December 16th, the academic student employee and student researcher bargaining teams voted to tentatively agree to UC's mediated proposals. This comes after 10 months of bargaining, five weeks of striking, and unimaginable amounts of stress for those involved. Uh, Before we get into any emotional thoughts or feelings in the air surrounding this tentative agreement, though, tell me what this includes when it comes to demands that you and I with KCSB have been keeping up with over the past month. Yeah, so to give you a quick, quick summary, I mean, obviously, this is a very long contract and there's lots of details, but the things people are most interested in, like wages, there's a pretty significant wage increase in this tentative agreement contract. But the wage increase happens over several years, so it wouldn't come into effect right away. Sometimes, like, we're seeing things, you know, it might be reported in newspapers or something saying that it's like a 50% increase, but that that doesn't really come into effect for a couple years. So 90 days from ratification, so a point when membership votes to accept the contract, a 50% TA, which is what most TAs are, it's kind of the standard, would be bumped up from slightly less than 24k to 25k Um, so that would not take effect until essentially like the spring quarter here then next fall it would bump up to 29 like a little over 29,000 per year and again there's no guarantee for summer employment so that was something that we had in our demands for a long time and is not in this people would only be guaranteed you know an employment for the the academic year not over the summer And those nine months of employment would total about 29,000. Another interesting thing that I had mentioned last time and is in this tentative agreement is kind of the step system for experience-based wage increases. And this would also come into effect next fall. So there's three steps for the TAs. There's more steps for grad student researchers. For TAs, there'd be three steps. And, you know, after a certain number of quarters teaching, you would go up each step until you reach the highest step. And there's three percentage raise increase between the steps. So a TA who's just starting to teach next fall would be making a little over 29,000. And a TA who has taught six or more quarters would be making almost 31,000 starting next fall. And then the following fall, so fall of 2024, that's when we get up to the full raise amount, which is 34,000 for the first step of TAs and a little over 36,000 for the most experienced TAs. 
Another thing that's interesting um, that kind of came out of left field, no one was really expecting this, is there's two different pays depending on which campus you're on. So all of the campuses except for UCLA, UC Berkeley, and UC San Francisco are making those numbers I just said. So they're, they're topping out at 34K for minimum pay over nine months. At these other campuses, they'll be making $2,500 more per year at UCLA, UC Berkeley, and UC San Francisco. And when UC put this in their proposal, they didn't say why those campuses and not others. The bargaining team says they just said it was due to market forces, quote unquote, whatever that means. And it's very clear that there are other campuses like UC Santa Cruz and UC SB and UC San Diego that are as expensive, if not more expensive than UCLA and UC Berkeley. UC San Francisco is really expensive, probably the most expensive campus. So that's a little, I don't know. We don't, there's, there's not a, there's not a whole lot of explanation for that, but it would be that people on some campuses are getting paid more than people on other campuses for the exact same work. So that's kind of the rundown for the TAs. The grad student researchers wages is basically the same. So pretty much tops off at about 34K over the life of the contract. They just have more steps and things like that. Previous ASE TA tutor reader contracts have not had step increases. Um, so that would be new. I think on maybe some campuses, they did have step increases, but it wasn't across the board. So I think maybe UCLA had step increases, but that was just theirs and it was not in the contract. So this is the first time that TAs will be getting experience-based step increases. And so that's a positive, I think. Someone who's TA'd for a really long time and has a lot of experience teaching would get, you know, a slightly more pay than a newer TA. Yeah, I'd actually like to dive a bit deeper into wages for a second, since I know that's what I'm getting asked the most questions about as a reporter on this. How do the wages you just described with the steps directly compare to past contracts and how do those wages compare to what was being initially asked for by the bargaining teams for these unions? So GSRs, Grad Student Researchers and Student Researchers United UAW, this is their very first contract. So they haven't had a contract before and they generally have had steps before. So they're even before they've had a contract, there's been experience based steps. And I believe it was like the department or the professor they're working for who would pick which step they're on. And so if the department has a lot more money, they could pick to put them on a much higher step and pay them more. But I don't think before there was any requirement that they move them up steps with experience. So it solidifies those step increases in the contract and keeps those for student researchers. And then in relation to, so for both SRU and UAW 2865, the Initial demand was $54,000 per year, and that's what it would take essentially to bring grad students at like the median campus out of rent burden so that they were not paying more than 30% of their wages to rent. So compared 54,000, it's now 34,000 by the end of the contract. There's a big difference there. And especially the fact that we would essentially see no material increases until next fall that's still quite a while away and people are still needing, you know, to pay their rent now. And so we wouldn't even get up to this 34,000 until 2024, right before the contract expires. 
Right. And just to clarify, I know we've spoke about this in past episodes, but the average wage for an academic student employee or student researcher right now is roughly, what would you say? So right now, the lowest paid TA who's working 50%, they're making less than 24K per year. So this is bumping us up essentially $10,000, but over the course of, you know, two years. And we also don't know what inflation is going to be over those next two years. So by the time we get to 2024, $34,000 is surely not going to be worth what it's worth now. But we don't know how much, you know, if inflation is going to continue at the rate it's continuing now, that'll be a big difference. Maybe inflation won't be as bad in the next few years and it won't be as big of a difference. But in any case, it's a lot less than what we need to actually be out of rent burden and be able to afford to live in these these California cities. Okay, so now let's go back to the different key points in those tentative agreements. Yeah, another key demand was paying for non-residential supplemental tuition. That's the tuition that students who are not California residents have to pay. It's about $15,000 per year, so it's a lot. And the issue is if you're a U.S. citizen, you can become a California resident, Um, So like I'm from Ohio, I moved here during the first year, my department paid for this extra tuition, so I didn't pay it. But by the end of my first year, I had to become a California resident, so I wouldn't be charged that anymore. The issue is international students can't become California residents. And so they have to keep paying this fee the whole time they're here. And that is quite a large extra tuition fee that maybe their department will cover, but a lot of departments can't cover that. So... The demand was to get rid of that tuition or that UC needs to waive it or pay for it themselves. And in this tentative agreement, UC has agreed to write the current policy into the contract. So currently, UC waives three years of NRST, non-residential supplemental tuition, after you advance to candidacy. So when PhD students basically go through all the things they need to get to their PhD besides writing their their big research write-up dissertation, they advance to candidacy. So after someone advanced to candidacy, UC already waives the NRST for three years, but that's not in the contract. So UC said that they will add it into the contract, but it's not actually changing anyone's situation. And of course, that's only for doctoral students, so PhD students. If you're a master's student, you never advance to candidacy because you're not doing a PhD, and so it's not covered for any of them. So this still leaves NRST in place for quite a long time until you actually advance to candidacy. And like I said, it's not changing the current situation. It's just establishing the current policy in the contract. In terms of childcare subsidies, the subsidy would increase a bit. So next fall, it would go up to 1350 per quarter, and then fall 2024, it would go up to $1,400 per quarter for student workers who are parents, which is slightly more than it is now. But if you consider how much childcare is, this wouldn't even cover UC subsidized childcare. So it's still definitely not you know sufficient for students and workers who have kids and require childcare. And then the last thing is for that is that it's only for children under 12, which for a lot of children, they might not need childcare after 12, but especially for children with disabilities, they would still potentially need childcare and parents can't get that childcare subsidy anymore after their child turns 12. And then in terms of healthcare for dependents, 
it's the same thing that I that I mentioned last time, which is that children who do not qualify for Medi-Cal, so government, you know, California government medical insurance, they can get insurance now through, or they could, if we ratify this contract, could get insurance through UCSB. But like I said before, pretty much all grad student workers would qualify for Medi-Cal for children. And I believe someone looked and every single TA at the standard 50% would still qualify for Medi-Cal through the entire life of the contract, even once we get up to that 34K. So while it's in there, I'm not sure how many people can actually benefit from that. And the other thing I mentioned earlier is that Medi-Cal doesn't cover things like therapy and gender-affirming health care. And so for, for children that need that, they would not have access to it. All right, that definitely is a lot to look at. But now that this contract, these, these two contracts, correct? Yeah, yeah. So there's two different unions. They've each tentatively agreed to a contract. And the contracts are pretty similar because they've been coordinated together. Um, Since a lot of grad students will go between working as a TA and working as a researcher, it's good that like they kind of cover the same thing. So your, your working conditions aren't changing drastically quarter to quarter. Now that these contracts have been tentatively agreed upon between UC and the union bargaining teams, what happens next? Uh, the, the contract doesn't just automatically become initiated for workers, right? Yeah, so the bargaining teams agreed to this, and now the next step is that it goes to a vote of union membership, which is starting Monday at 8 a.m. and going to Friday 5 p.m. Everyone who is a member of one or both of the unions will get to vote if they want to ratify this contract, which means officially accept it, or if they want to reject the contract and essentially keep bargaining. So voting yes is pretty straightforward. It means we would you know, end the strike, go back to work, have this new contract, and it would be in place. Voting no would mean that the membership does not think that this this contract's sufficient, and we would go back to the bargaining table. In that case, if we went back to the bargaining table, we can reopen articles that have already been agreed to. And we don't have to reopen all of them, but it gives you the chance to like go back and start over on some things if you think that that's, that's not sufficient. And the vote is a simple majority vote, so 50% plus one, and it's across all the campuses. So every member gets a vote, and then the total of those votes, if 50% plus one are are yes, then it'll be accepted. How do you personally feel about this new contract, if you're willing to share? How are you going to vote come Monday? I and a lot of other workers at UCSB Um, Not everyone, but a lot of us think that this contract's not sufficient, that we didn't go on strike for five going on six weeks just to still be in rent burden, even at the end of this contract. And also these issues of non-residential supplemental tuition, support for parents, and other issues that have like come up along the way. So the disability justice of the, the accommodations article is not sufficient for disabled workers, The Cops Off Campus security article was just like completely forgotten about and dropped, never came up again. And so I think that this contract, while it it definitely is better than what we have now, I don't think it protects and improves the situations of our most vulnerable workers and our most marginalized workers. 
there's a lot of kind of like heated debate over this right now, and we'll have to see how it plays out in the votes. But there are some campuses like UC Santa Barbara, UC Santa Cruz, um, UC Merced that are pretty strongly in like the no camp. Those are also the smaller campuses though. So even if our entire campus votes no, if all of UCLA and UC Berkeley vote yes, it would still be accepted. And that's that's kind of what happened in the contract ratification vote last time around. So in 2018 was our last contract. It was ratified by a very slim majority. And that's kind of what sparked some of like the Cola Wildcat strikes. So we'll have to see what happens this time around. Obviously, because we've been striking, I think a lot more people are tuned into what's going on. So I think there will be a lot more people participating in the vote. There weren't a whole lot of people who voted last time, also because the vote was over the summer and there were a lot of issues with the online voting platform and it wasn't really advertised very well. So I think a lot more people will vote this time around and a lot more people are paying attention. But it's going to be interesting to see what what the yes-no percentages come down to. I wanted to read something I saw on fairucnow.org, the site that constantly feeds updates related to bargaining for the unions on strike. It says, quote, workers have finally secured agreements that contain record-setting wage increases, the largest ever increases for any unionized higher education workers. If ratified, this contract would make us the highest paid graduate student workers at any public university in the country. The agreements also contain breakthroughs in new areas like the first ever contractual transit benefits at UC, the first ever inclusion of NRST, non-residential supplemental tuition, and dependent health care after years of demanding both, end quote. Now, I think it's safe to say that these are pretty positively charged statements, and they're coming from a site that I know a lot of people rely upon for news on this strike. What would you say in response to that, given your stance as someone against ratification of the new tentative agreements? A lot of the UAW, or I guess all of the UAW communications channels, the the emails that are being sent out to workers, the websites, the social media accounts, are all very, like you said, positively oriented. And I do think this is a positive development. UC has moved a bit towards us in negotiating. I think we've moved toward them a lot more. And I've seen some other people be a bit concerned, especially kind of like on social media and in the emails that they're making it seem like everyone 100% is on board with this and thinks it's great. And, you know, they throw around the word historic all the time. And it is historic in some ways, but a lot of us, me included, think that it's still not enough. So, for instance, like being the highest paid graduate student workers of any university makes sense because we live in the most expensive state. (laughs) Um, Like we live in one of the most expensive places. So just because we're the highest paid doesn't mean it's enough for us to live. Um, We need to be much higher paid than people who say are living in Indiana just because our cost of living is so much higher. And so while this is like a really big increase and, you know, the percentage numbers look really impressive. So saying I think it's like, you know, 45 to 80 percent wage increases. It is really good. And it's it is like a big improvement. But percentages on really low numbers of income still leads to a really low income. Right. So if you get paid ten dollars a month and you get an 80 percent raise, you get eighteen dollars a month, but you still can't live on eighteen dollars a month. Um, So when we're starting as low as we were starting before, we need a percentage increase that is huge to just, you know, break even, essentially. Some folks have been doing some analysis of 
the pay and, you know, making up for the inflation that's been so huge over the last few years and the even bigger rental price increases over the last few years, we wouldn't actually be making in like real wages much more, say like next year. If anything, some of us might be making less in like real money next year than we did in 2017 before our last contract. So from the outside, it might look based on the UAW websites and their Twitter and Instagram that this is like great and everyone's super happy and celebrating it is a bit concerning because if you actually look at like the comments on things, like a lot of workers are saying this isn't enough. I'm going to have to drop out of UC because I can't pay my bills and this isn't even going to change that or saying like, I can't wait two years to make more money. I need to pay my bills now, things like that. And then those comments being swept under the rug and they're only retweeting the nice ones is I think a bit a bit concerning for, for a lot of us. So another thing is the, the wage increase. It is more money, but something that a lot of workers have I've heard bring up is that it's gonna disqualify us from a lot of government assistance programs without our wages actually being high enough to make up for those disqualifications. So for instance, when we get bumped up in 90 days and then you know next fall, we'll, we'll no longer qualify for things like CalFresh, but we won't necessarily be making a whole lot more than we would have gotten from CalFresh. There's some other assistance programs like subsidized housing and assistance with electricity and water, things like that, that we would no longer qualify for. But especially in this 90-day increase, where we go from just like 24K to 25K this spring, that would be enough to kind of bump us out of some of these things, but we're not actually making more at that point to make up for those those things we're disqualified for. Quickly, as we kind of wrap up here, I wanted to veer away from talks about UAW and SRU for a second and check in on UAW 5810. That's the union representing postdocs and academic researchers. Uh, We talked about how they ended their bargaining about two and a half weeks ago. What's the latest on that? They ended their bargaining. They got what we have now, which is a tentative agreement, and they went through their whole ratification process and they voted to approve their contract. So they are now under their new contract, back to work. And, you know, this whole strike and everything is is essentially over for them. They They have their new contract. So with all of that in mind... Do you think that this will be the last time we talk in this regard or or do you foresee more big updates that might require more check-ins? I really don't know. And I don't know how this vote's going to go because it's really hard to say like on a statewide level, there's, you know, 36,000 workers, how that's going to play out and how many people are going to vote and how they're going to vote. But I guess, I guess we'll see next Friday. I'm on my toes for it. Hey, Emily Fox, PhD student at UCSB, who's been incredibly willing to talk to me at pretty much all hours of the day and night. Thank you for talking with me. And by the sound of it, we'll be checking in soon. Thank you. After our interview ended, Fox followed up by letting me know that all of the UCSB bargaining team representatives voted against tentatively agreeing to this contract. 